This is America's in Focus from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of America's in Focus brings you in-depth analysis and perspective from our experts in the Americas on the issues that matter most to businesses. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Americas in Focus podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Strong, and I'm delighted to be here today with my colleague, Alejandra Soto. Hi there, Alejandra. Hi, Gavin, and great to be here with you today. Alejandra leads our global risk analysis team for Mexico, Central America, and the Caribbean. And then we have Laura Lizarazo, who is based in our Bogota office. Hi there, Laura. Hi, Gavin, Alejandra, Mario. I'm thrilled to be here with you sharing this panel. And Laura is our lead analyst for Colombia. And then last but not least, Mario Braga. Hi there, Mario. How are you? Hey, Gavin. All good. Thanks for having me. Not at all. Thanks to you. And Mario is our lead analyst for Brazil. We're going to be discussing the latest uh, version of the Capacity to Combat Corruption Index, the CCC Index. This index is essentially an assessment of uh, Latin America's capacity to detect, punish, and prevent corruption. And the report focuses on 15 countries across the region, which I think off the top of my head represent 96% uh, of GDP region-wide. Uh, I'm going to share some very, very high-level uh, sort of regional findings from the report, and then we'll, as soon as possible, get into the nitty-gritty of the key findings for Mexico, Colombia, and Brazil with Alejandra, Laura, and Mario. So basically, the, the major finding from this year's report um, is that the capacity to combat corruption across the region is under pretty significant pressure. And this is reflected in the fact that for the first time since 2020, the overall regional score fell. And there are lots of different reasons for this. I think whilst corruption remains a concern with governments, with civil society and with people more broadly, uh, unfortunately, there are concerns that seem to be taking more airtime. So there's a perception of an increase in uh, insecurity region-wide, exemplified by uh, a notable rise in violent crime across several countries. Uh, there's also concern or continued concern around sort of post-pandemic economic recovery and certainly the unfavorable inflationary environment. And also uh, concern around democratic uh, backsliding in some of the countries, uh, some of the major countries across the region. And, and I think within that context, uh, we've seen this sort of anti-corruption uh, fight lose momentum in various countries. And that's certainly reflected in the scores in this year's report. But as I say, I, want, I really want to dive into the nitty gritty of what's happening specifically in Mexico and Colombia and Brazil. So with that, let's start with you, Alejandra, because corruption has been a big issue in Mexico for years now. Um, and it's one of the reasons why AMLO, our friend, our president uh, here in Mexico, won the election back in 2018. But how have things sort of panned out during the first five years of his administration? What's the anti-corruption landscape looking like in Mexico at the moment? Yes, it remains a, a big deal, but the, the, on the downside of this is that it remains a big deal in the narrative only. 
this is a major issue. It has been a major issue for Mexicans for a while now. Uh, but yes, the president does a great job in um, in presenting himself as this champion against corruption. But what we are seeing now, and this year's CCC index uh, points that way as well, is that this just remains in the narrative because once again, we're seeing uh, backsliding in terms of the efficiency and independence of anti-corruption agencies, which has been a constant uh, for the past four years. Um, and there are new things as well, not just this uh, lack of efficiency, but something new this year is uh, the backsliding in civil, civil society and media in that variable uh, in the CCC index. So in addition to this trend that we've been seeing in terms of the efficiency of anti-corruption institutions, we are also seeing um, uh, civil society and media variable going down this year. Uh, and this has to do with the fact that uh, journalists, in addition to being uh, some of the, the critic journalists, been attacking rhetoric by the president every day, they're just bothered with covering other pressing things. Uh, there's a lot of insecurity in Mexico, so there are competing priorities. And again, when you have a president that presents himself as the champion against corruption, it suddenly is not in the mainstream media anymore all the time. Um, and the fact that the president himself hasn't found himself in a corruption scandal is also helpful. But we have seen some scandals concerning members of his family and people close to him. But again, institutions remain weak, so that's not being um, uh, punished. That's not being pursued. Thanks, Alejandro. And it seems louder that there perhaps may be points of comparison between what we're seeing or what we have seen in Mexico over the last sort of four or five years and what we've seen in the first year of uh, Petro's administration in, in, in Colombia. So perhaps promising a lot on the corruption front and not delivering that much um, some some corruption scandals also embroiling his administration. Please uh, let us know what you think. What's happening in Colombia from a sort of corruption standpoint at the moment? In in fact, this is a shared feature between Colombia's landscape regarding uh, the fight against corruption and the one in Mexico. Uh, President Petro arrived uh, to the presidency uh, because he promised to change Colombia's landscape regarding economics, politics, and um, he promised a lot regarding traditional ways to do politics and corruption practices. But so far, his policy results are modest and he has not delivered yet any significant um, results regarding corruption uh, regarding corruption so um, everything has remained in red rhetoric despite he has uh, achieved for example a national government plan that includes in fact some points to fight corruption as uh, for instance um, a national legal mandate to designed a national strategy to fight corruption, some measures to protect whistleblowers, and um, also some policies to strengthen civil society participation in all public policy cycles, particularly for minorities as indigenous communities, Afro-Colombians, but there still 
uh, there is still there are still many things to be done regarding the legal capacity to combat corruption because as is the case in Mexico anti-corruption agencies are underfunded or understaffed lack the technical and human capacities to um, prevent and um, prosecute corruption acts and the state's uh, reaction regarding corruption remains weak uh, to prevent corruption uh, practices. So, in fact, yes, Mexico and Colombia share uh, several features regarding the anti-corruption landscape. Thanks very much, Laura. And now with you, Mario. So, okay, it seems that both AMLO in, in Mexico and Petro in Colombia aren't exactly covering themselves in glory when it comes to the fight against corruption. But at least neither of them have spent time in prison for corruption, which isn't which is something we can't say for, for Lula. So given given Lula's own track record on corruption, uh, and given the fact that he's only very recently returned to, to office, what are your expectations about the, the corruption environment in, in Brazil and how it may sort of develop going forward? That's true, Gavin. Basically, corruption has always been a sensitive topic in Brazilian politics, and especially, I guess, around the 2018 presidential election when uh, current President Lula was still in jail and the former President Bolsonaro ran this campaign as an outsider, as an anti-establishment politician, uh, and basically... Uh, focusing on uh, anti-corruption uh, efforts. Uh, eventually, during his mandate, that's when the car wash operation, which has become controversial, but was one of the main operations against corruption in the country, it was dismantled. Uh, and then now we see many corruption allegations also emerging regarding Bolsonaro as well. So we have Lula uh, back in power. We have the, the Workers' Party uh, that has faced many allegations over the past uh, years and decades. Uh, and at the same time, you have the opposition that uh, has losing uh, has been losing this kind of political capital in terms of having the credentials to, to fight corruption. So I guess that puts uh, all of these efforts and the capabilities of the country to, to fight corruption in a very uh, bad position. Uh, and what we have seen when we look at the index in Brazil, basically, is a persistently decline since 2019 that has now stagnated uh, in 2023. Uh, so while it's too early to say that, well, Brazil may be in a reversal, Brazil may uh, now start a kind of upward trend, we at least have seen uh, the end of this uh, declining trend for now. I guess uh, it's hard to believe that we will see a very significant improvement in the coming years, because when we look at the variables that make up the index, the one that Brazil's uh, perform uh, poor is the one regarding lawmaking and ruling process. And then we're talking about the relationships between the executive and the legislative branch, how they all uh, are based on pork barreling uh, and then exchange of uh, budget allocation or political appointments in exchange for support in Congress and how these mechanisms, they end up not creating the incentives for legislators uh, to build a more robust uh, legal framework to fight corruption. So. Uh, it's to some extent bleak the outlook uh, in a sense that it's unlikely that we will have a kind of coordinated effort or a boost in the anti-corruption effort, especially if you're thinking from the public sector. We may have that coming back again uh, from the civil society, from the media, as in the past years. Also, my colleagues were talking about how 
uh, journalists were focusing on other topics, right? So the pandemic or the economic crisis. Uh, in Brazil, we had the concern about the integrity of the elections and democratic institutions. We may see these stakeholders that are important focusing again on corruption and strengthening uh, these anti-corruption efforts in coming years. Yeah, no, that's an important point you make. And I think that relationship, um, you know, you mentioned port barrel politics. And of course, that's not something that's limited just to Brazil. That's something that we see region wide. And it's one of the reasons why we don't perhaps see as much progress uh, from a sort of co congressional standpoint on the fight against corruption as we might hope for. Um, I'm, I'm conscious that, you know, we are a risk consultancy, so we should try and tie some of this as analysis to what it specifically means uh, for businesses, for investors looking at opportunities in Latin America and the Caribbean. And so I'm going to come back to you, Alejandro. I'm conscious that we've begun the long, drawn-out build-up to the, the election next year. And it does seem that the issue of corruption will become increasingly politicized, which seems incredible because it already is very politicized uh, in Mexico. How do you how do you see things panning out on on that on that front? And what what do you think of the specific implications for for businesses operating in in Mexico in that context? Yeah. So again, we have continuously declined uh, in this index for the past four years, and the prospects are not great. And you mentioned um, elections. And this is one of the reasons why um, we are now um, full on thinking on the presidential election and elections across the country, right? So um, this this opens the door for a lot of corruption. There are a lot of opportunities for corruption. Uh, we know about how money moves uh, around electoral processes in Mexico. So this will happen. And it's very bad news that this will happen while we have now this weekend institutions uh, concerning the fight against corruption. So we'll have weak institutions and a lot of corruption opportunities, which is not a great combination. This goes beyond um, the electoral process. Um, we we now have a government who is that is, for instance, um, incentivizing investment in Southeast Mexico, which is great, a great industrial policy, and I'm all for uh, the investment across the country. But this opens the door to a, a whole new range of situations and challenges for companies, not just your regular um, uh, corruption um, challenges and corruption risks in, in, in specific industrial hubs, but in these new regions, and we're talking now, this combined with electoral processes, so you will have all, sort, all levels of government involved in this um, likely corruption practices, weak institutions to address that. Uh, so, yeah, there are upcoming uh, challenges that we haven't yet seen. Um, we also know about the involvement of organized crime in usually local level elections. But over the past few years, we've seen this escalate in state level uh, elections. So that's also a concern uh, for the upcoming uh, electoral process. Um, and again, we are seeing everything is politicized. Is it has been politicized? So what this means is that the few lucky that have access to the highest level of government will likely be able to navigate these things. You mentioned sort of earlier on in your answer to my initial question that over the last four years Mexico has regressed. So year on year, there's been no improvement in the in the country's capacity to combat corruption. How do you how do you reconcile that? sort of continued decline under the current administration 
with the previous administration's terrible track record on corruption. And I, and I, and I think most people listening to this will be very well aware that the former president, Enrique Peña Nieto, is currently living the life of Riley in Madrid. So how do you reconcile that, that terrible track record with the continued deterioration of the, of the country's uh, capacity to combat corruption now? So, of course, there are still corruption scandals, but we did have uh, massive scandals in the previous administration. But we also had, uh, we were building up these anti-corruption institutions. Um, and, and yes, again, this index is, up to me- this measures the ability to detect, punish, and deter corruption. And right now, what we are seeing is that this went away in the, in the realm of the narrative and AMLO's, uh, AMLO's narrative, everyday uh, rhetoric. But these institutions that we were building back in the day are now defunded, um, short on staff. Um, a lot of people that, that have the te- technical ability to, to lead those institutions are now gone. So now, uh, despite we, we, I agree, we don't have this major or, well, we do have a couple of major corruption scandals, but those remain, polit- remain politicized. And this was the case in the past. But it's also the case with the AMLO administration. Uh, we have the, a major case with the Agency of Food Security. Um, and what happens is, and I mean, we know impunity is at high levels in Mexico, and that has remained very high um, across different administrations. Um, but what we see this, and it's the common thread with Peña Nieto, with AMLO, is uh that this just remains at lower levels. So when, when things do get, uh, when there are investigations uh, around these cases, it's so politicized that uh, people at top of these uh, uh, agencies or the, 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 the main characters of these scandals are suddenly off the hook. And we just see these um, investigations ongoing, but there's no real capacity to actually make something about that. So the, the, it's a mixed bag of like the narrative against actual capacity to do that. And the, the institutions we were building are now back again to zero almost. Yeah, just to expand on something that Alejandro mentioned that I think it's important in Brazil as well, is when we think, for example, about underfunding as, as an issue that's, uh, of course, like always a challenge, an obstacle. Uh, in Brazil, in addition to that, we have seen over the past years uh, kind of attempts to interfere and influence investigations. So the autonomy of these oversight uh, and anti-corruption agencies has been undermined. Uh, And then the other thing that I think is important to have in mind is the difference when we talk about uh, federal, state, and local levels, because it's very easy to have uh, these headlines in the media about federal level corruption. So if you're talking about either the president, his allies, or people in the administration that are involved uh, in corruption. And then, you, of course, at the federal level, there may be more resources to fight corruption. But when you trickle down to the state levels and special to the municipalities and think in Brazil that we have more than 5,500 uh, cities, it, get, it gets really hard for uh, kind of local uh, either oversight agencies or even if you think about the media, for example, investigative journalism, that has also been facing crisis and underfunding, the res- few resources they have are mostly concentrated uh, at undigging and uncovering uh, wrongdoings at federal levels and some state levels. But if you think that companies operating in the countries, most of the times they'll be dealing with permits, with licenses at the municipality level or the state level, for example, they will be exposed to these corruption risks uh, down the line where there is very little attention. So 
to a, to an extent the responsibility or like the the burden of them being sure or ensuring that their employees will not uh, kind of fall into these traps falls with like strong compliance uh, schemes or something in policies rather than relying that oh if there is a corruption scandal I'll be aware of it or if there's a corruption scheme it will be in the media because that may not be the case. Just. Just want to add, add something really quickly because I did mention and, and Mario touched upon uh, investigative journalism. And here in Mexico, and that's something else that had happened uh, uh, in previous administrations, that we have very good investigative journalism. Uh, but there's uh, this, our transparency agency has been key to uncover uh, this um, corruption scandals. And now President Lopez Obrador is actively uh, impeding that agency from, from getting its full staff. Uh, he has vetoed uh, the potential members of the board of the INAI, uh, which impedes the Transparency Institute from uh, sessioning on key issues. So not just you have competing priorities for journalists to cover other, other pressing, pressing things, but they also have uh, less information um, and, and information of, of reduced quality to actually uh, uncover all these cases. And I will just add... Um, militarization. We have now the military overseeing a growing list of tasks in the public administration, which we know results in opacity because they're not transparent. Uh, so as long as that continues to be true, even if we have great uh, investigative journalism, it just becomes very complicated to uncover these cases and well, therefore to prosecute corruption and actually punish and deter corruption. Thanks, Alejandro. On that encouraging note, uh, back to you, Laura. So in the case of uh, Colombia under Petro, how do you foresee things developing over the rest of his um, four-year term? Do you see a continued ero erosion of the anti-corruption framework? And if so, what do you think will be the major implications for companies, investors uh, in Colombia? I don't think that Petro's administration will invest his limited political capital in actually improving or strengthening existing anti-corruption mechanisms or creating new ones. The government has other policy priorities, including its pension, labor system, and health reforms, which are now in uh, congressional debates. But president will not prioritize fighting corruption or strengthening the existing agencies, which, as I mentioned, uh, lack adequate funding, staff, and especially they lack articulation. In Colombia, the responsibilities and functions of anti-corruption agencies are highly dispersed. And we have about 44 agencies at the national level that sometimes uh, have overlapping responsibilities regarding uh, prevention, investigation, or uh, sanctioning acts of corruption. So this administration is not expected to address these issues, but we can expect some developments from other government branches. For instance, we have the Special Jurisdiction for Justice, which is a high court that was created to oversee all the transitional justice process that initiated with the 2016 peace agreement with the FARC guerrilla. This court has started some audiences and some hearings to understand and to investigate what was the role of businesses in the civil conflict. 
And last month, for instance, Salvatore Mancuso, who is a right-wing paramilitary leader, appeared before the Special Jurisdiction for Peace, and he uncovered some links between business corporations and right-wing paramilitary groups that forcefully displaced communities and that now should face some investigations. So, Laura, sorry to interrupt, but this is a really key point, I think, for, for our clients who have interest in Colombia to really focus in on. How has, as a result, how have our sort of due diligence services changed in this context, particularly with those types of companies that operate in, in parts of the, of, of the country that were previously sort of a major focal point for that conflict? Given the extent and long-standing impacts of conflict, of civil civil conflict in Colombia, companies now should be strategically aware of the conflict, the, the footprint that conflict has in lands, for instance, because the country has a long history of forced displacement, land and land dispossession. Those companies operating in sectors such as mining, oil, gas, and infrastructure, which uh, by nature uh, entail, which their projects entail uh, intensive land interventions, should conduct um, exhaustive due diligence to um, uh, clarify land property history and to make sure there are no claims uh, victims' claims over lands that are uh, targeted for projects. And this is one key component, a new component of due diligence that companies and businesses trying to invest in Colombia should take into account before investing in the country. Thanks very much, Laura. And I certainly, anyone listening into this podcast who's interested in getting a bit more detail on that type of work that we're doing, not only in, in Colombia, but across the region. I, I encourage you guys to get into contact with us. Um, and just to highlight our presence across the region, we're not only based in Mexico City, Bogotan, Sao Paulo, but we also have offices in Panama City and Georgetown, Guyana. So we've got a pretty wide uh, spread across Latin America and the Caribbean. I do want to attempt... Because you know I have an insatiable joie de vivre. So I want to try and finish on a relatively positive note. Um, so maybe starting with you, Mario, is there any sort of uh, room for optimism as we get into the nitty gritty of the report's findings for Brazil specifically? Was there anything that struck you as a kind of yeah room for, for optimism going forward? Well, Gavin, I think one issue that we can uh, see as a... Uh kind of a positive prospect, at least a possibility, is that part of the reason why Brazil had been declining had to do with the former president's attempt to interfere with oversight agencies, as I had mentioned before. So the government change makes room, creates the possibility that uh, this degree of interference uh, would not be as strong. I think it's important to, to have in mind that we don't expect, for example, these uh, anti-corruption agencies to regain full autonomy again. Uh, we had, as you mentioned, the fact that uh, Lula went to jail after uh, a controversial uh, lawsuit and the trial. Uh, basically, it has changed the way he deals with the autonomy of oversight bodies. So, for example, during his first two terms in the 2000s, he was uh, the one who introduced a tradition of appointing 
the prosecutor general from a short list uh, submitted by the prosecutors themselves. This, in theory, should grant them some autonomy to determine who should be the head prosecutor who could, for example, present char press charges against the president himself. Uh, that tradition had been broken by uh, both former presidents uh, Bolsonaro and Temer, and now Lula back in office is saying he'll no longer abide by that tradition, that he uh, will not pick the next prosecutor general from this list. There will be some degree of autonomy. We cannot expect it to be uh, a full autonomy again. So some room for marginal improvement, but not that much. And on, on another variable that was also responsible for a decline in recent years uh, was the fact that media was paying attention to other issues, that, as we mentioned before. And perhaps now, and I think exactly as you mentioned at the very beginning, the fact that Lula had been in jail, the fact that the Workers' Party has uh, involvement in several corruption scandals, that will shift the focus again from uh, NGOs and from investigative journalists to the uh, kind of relationships between people in power uh, and uh, the business environment, the business uh, private sector players. So corruption is likely to regain some of the lost ground in the center stage of like a public debate. And that perhaps is a kind of a positive tone that will have strengthening anti-corruption efforts in coming years. Thank you, Mario. That was a great effort on positivity. Uh, Laura, do you see a similar dynamic uh, panning out um, in Colombia? As President Petro's presidency introduced, has introduced a new, a new political and social climate where communities, uh, environmental and social requirements and demands are now viewed under a positive light and thus ESG requirements have um, increased, this new climate offers new opportunities for those companies that are already operating in the country or aiming to invest here to do things with higher integrity, transparency, and social value standards. The government will likely grant high policy support to those projects and sectors and companies that are aligned with its policy priorities, particularly in the renewable sector and um, also in agriculture and some uh, sectors of infrastructure that are aimed at improving connectivity in rural areas. And we think that there are some market opportunities for companies that are willing to accept this higher ESG standards that are not only aligned with the priorities of this new government, but with a global trend of higher public awareness regarding environmental issues and social issues, inequality, and uh, other long-standing uh, challenges that both Colombia, uh, Mexico, and Brazil share. Like it, Laura. Hashtag where there's risk, there's opportunity. Uh, and I'm glad also you managed to slip in some discussion about ESG, which we'll be very happy to talk about in a future episode. Okie dokes. Alejandra, so we've got seven more years of Morena in power at the federal government level, which is happy days for uh, Mexico's capacity to combat corruption, though. I mean, it could be, and uh, but I will say that it is complicated to try to be uh, positive uh, because we've seen that we have an undermined uh, capacity to combat corruption, and that's a trend that we expect to, to continue to see. Uh, we have a lot of opportunities for corruption with upcoming elections, 
Um, and even these days where anti-corruption um, civil society organizations are being uh, attacked by the president, we have reputational uh, risk stemming from trying to associate yourselves with anti-corruption uh, NGOs. Uh, and also we this emerging trend, uh, well, m more markedly now, uh, of the federal government talking negatively and criticizing and attacking with rhetoric um, the judiciary with which I think will factor into next year next year's index. Uh, so in this context, it's complicated and like the message is okay. So companies, you're on your own. So I would say the great opportunity is that you have the opportunity to build um, your own anti-corruption programs and for them to be very robust. Uh, you're not alone. You can always, and we can always help, help with that. Yeah, we, we can, can help, help you with that. that. Uh, but it's a great opportunity to to build uh, robust anti-corruption programs. Uh, and no, I, I will say that um, uh, something that I see as something positive uh, coming our way, I think, I hope, um, is that uh, the civil society groups um, that were uh, key to uncovering some of these corruption scandals in the past, once AMLO is out of the picture, I think they will become stronger again and we will see a lot from them. Um, and maybe that's that's the seed that... Uh, starts again with this anti-corruption efforts in the in the future so i'm, I'm ho hopeful for that excellent well i'm very pleased that you ended on such a hopeful note alejandra and thanks very much to to all you guys to alejandra mario laura this is a really insightful conversation i learned a lot and i hope everyone listening did as well um if you haven't read this year's ccc index report i encourage you guys to go to the Control Risk website, and there you can download a copy. Uh, until the next one, go well. If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of America's in Focus, be sure to subscribe. And be sure to check out our other podcasts as well. All of our podcasts are available wherever you listen. Just search Control Risks. You can find all of our analysis and learn how we make the difference in a changing world at controlrisks.com.